Basel World was possibly the most important watch trade show in the world from 1917 until 2019. Closing down because of the COVID pandemic and several factors within the watch industry, Basel World is no more. It was the trade show where retailers would meet with both brands and distributors in order to understand what new product was being released in the following year and what product they would have access to. It was also where young brands came to launch their products. When Richard Mille arrived at Basel World in 2001, the watch world was ill-prepared for the future he envisioned. He saw a future in which sports watches using innovative materials that were durable and lightweight with rubber or fabric straps would become a normal part of everyday dress. He brought a new design language, new materials, and a new approach to watchmaking that would breathe new life into a very traditional industry. In short, Richard Mille changed the game. In this episode of Ford Momentum, we will learn about Richard Mille, the brand's rise to prominence, and how Richard's interest in cars led the brand to be one of the most dominant forces on the motorsport landscape. My name is Todd Searle. I'm obsessed with watches. I pay attention to them everywhere I see them. One place I've been surprised to see them frequently is in the cockpit of Formula One cars. I'm a crazed Formula One fan, and I keep noticing watch brands sponsoring cars, races, and I kept seeing them pop up on drivers' wrists. I wanted to understand why watch brands lean so heavily on the world of motorsport. This is Forward Momentum, where we explore the interconnection between watches and the world of motorsport, luxury goods, gear, and the creators behind those brands. Welcome to Forward Momentum. Richard Mille is probably one of the most, if not the most, misunderstood brands in the watch industry. Many view owning an RM as a financial flex and view RM as a hype brand. Yes, Richard has used many crazy marketing techniques in his time, including throwing the RM001 on the floor at Basel World to prove his team had built a tourbillon for everyday life. But the brand is genuinely pushing the limits of what a watch can and should be. I'm not sure it matters whether they are accomplishing this in-house or using partners as they do. What is important is that they are pushing the boundaries, writing their own design language, and changing the status quo of the watch world. Richard Mille's journey began after studying marketing in Besançon. Not much is known or publicized about his formative years, but he grew up in the Provence-Alpes-Côte d'Azur region of France, surrounded by some of France's wealthiest people. He remembers going to air shows and car shows as a child and marveling at the engines of the planes and automobiles, and this would influence him forever. Mill joined Finhor in 1974, which was a local watchmaking company. They were purchased by Matra in 1981, and Richard would come to be the head of Matra's watchmaking business. The company was purchased by Seiko in 1992, and Mill left to start a watchmaking business for French jewelry firm Mabusson. He would leave in 1998 over a commercial disagreement. He knew there had to be more, and he wanted to create his own brand of watches. He would share his plan with Dominique Gennat, the owner of Montre Vergine, 
and they shared a love of car, aeronautics, and design, which would lead them to working together on the design for the Richard Mille brand. Richard Mille and Dominic Gannat drew up their plans and the basis for the Richard Mille brand in partnership with Gannat SA, Montrevalgine, and APRP, Audemars Piguet, Renaud, et Papi, was born. When Richard Mille began thinking about building his own brand, he wanted to do so on his own terms. It was at this time that Mill presented his plans to Dominique Gannat, and the pair began working on defining the vision and scope of the watches that Mill wanted to produce. His quest was really to build a luxury watch for the future. To do so, he looked at the fields of car racing, aeronautics, and sailing to look at the use of futuristic, high-tech, lightweight materials that were durable, accurate, and were just sort of more cutting edge than he saw in the watch industry. On October 23, 2001, the duo co-founded the company as equal partners. They partnered with Audemars Piguet and their specialist workshop, Renault and Poppy, APRP, to produce their first watches. Audemars Piguet still has a holding in the company today. When Richard set out to build his watches, he tells the story of being unable to sleep one night and taking a bar of hotel soap and carving out the prototype of that first watch. Richard Mill explains that he arrived at the shape of the watch quite unusually. Quote, I arrived at the shape one night when I couldn't sleep. I was trying to create a form that would sit perfectly on the human wrist and had a certain organic sensuality, but also expressed my obsession with performance and technicality. When I went to the hotel bathroom, I unwrapped a bar of soap and I began carving it with a knife. I carried this piece of soap with me back home. Eventually it broke and I created a cardboard prototype. That was the genesis, end quote. And I quote Richard Mille again here. I wanted to create my first watch in the same way that an F1 team designs their car. That is to have the team creating the chassis, the team creating the engine, the team in charge of the body and aerodynamics, and the driver all participating in the process. All with the understanding that the objectives had to be ultimate comfort, shock resistance, durability, accuracy, and lightweight. It's clear from this statement that Richard Mille wanted to build watches that would be like the racing cars he loved. He wanted to build racing machines for the wrist. He wanted to take the concept of how a Formula One car was built and apply it to watchmaking. And Richard Mille certainly did shatter all expectations of the watch world. A new case shape, a case in three parts, the bezel, the case band, and the case back, all held together by grade 5 titanium screws. It was something never seen before, a sports watch that featured a tourbillon, a complication often thought too fragile for daily use, and a sapphire crystal on both sides of the watch that was shaped, exposing the entirety of the movement and the entire watch for the naked eye to see. Richard Mille broke from what was expected of watchmakers, and was expected of a luxury good. He convinced watch collectors and, and the luxury world that luxury didn't have to be made in a precious metal, that it didn't need to have a crazy complication in it. A watch could simply be an accurate timekeeper, take a kicking, and keep on working, while being breathtakingly beautiful and mechanically complex to manufacture. Richard Mille convinced the world of watch collectors that luxury could be lightweight. Let's take a closer look at the watch that put Richard Mille on the map, the RM001. 
In 2001, Richard Mille arrived at Baselworld to launch his brand. He would go on to throw a $200,000 watch, the RM001, on the ground, and in doing so, he would shake long-standing beliefs about watches. When he retrieved the watch, it was completely unfazed. It kept working like nothing had happened to it. Richard Mille's website describes what the RM001 meant to both the brand and the watch world, and I quote, Technicity, performance, extreme resistance have been Richard Mille's maxim since he started out on this adventure. The RM001 presented behind the scenes of Baselworld 2001 by the creator, throwing the watch without remorse onto the ground to prove his future retailers and partners that this tourbillon caliber was unique, a legendary and immediate success. All these stories are part of the RM001. However, this piece is much more than the first successful model of the brand. It is the one that allowed Richard Mille to put his foot on the first rung of the ladder and onto the permanent development process, serving a brand that definitely doesn't do things like the others. The RM001 is the pre-series of what would become the RM002, then 003, etc. It served as the full-scale laboratory for Richard Mille and Renaud and Poppy and the technical solutions chosen by the design office. It laid the foundations for what will become the brand and also imposed lines instantly recognized by thousands today. He broke away from all that was technically done at the time. The architecture of the tourbillon movement was designed for optimal maintenance and extreme shock resistance. Case and movement were conceived simultaneously without any casing ring mounting. This design was quite unique at the time a time when the tourbillon regulator was also considered as a fragile organ, impossible to wear out of special occasions. Mill was convinced that luxury was lightweight. He sought to build the ultimate sports watch, a racing machine for the wrist. A key part of this strategy would blend futuristic lightweight materials with cutting-edge watchmaking to build a watch that was lightweight, incredibly durable, and would withstand large shocks. In a 2019 New York Times article entitled, 10 Watches That Changed What's On Your Wrist, Victoria Gamelski wrote about watches that changed how we think and look at orology. Richard Mille made that list for the introduction of their brand with the RM001. Gamelski wrote that, quote, when Richard Mille introduced his tonneau-shaped, technically advanced RM001 in 2001, the French watchmaker not only broke with watchmaking tradition, he torched it. She would go on to explain, quote, Mr. Mill, who has said he carved a bar of hotel soap into the RM001 form one sleepless night, is a racing enthusiast who designed his first watch to both look and function like a Formula One car. Comfort, performance, shock resistance, durability, and lightness were top of mind, end quote. In accordance with Watchworld lore, Richard Mille would actually throw that watch on the floor at Baselworld to demonstrate that his watch was different, that it actually could withstand those impacts, and that the tourbillon that he and his team had built was built for daily life. Using lightweight materials and a rubber strap, and the complication of the tourbillon was impressive. But could it really cost $200,000? Yes, yes it could. Motorsport. Mill was and remains obsessed with racing. 
In the early days of the brand, carbon fiber was widely used in Formula One to build cars and was seen as a new material that one could capitalize upon. He realized that he could take elements from classical watchmaking, make them in lighter materials, make them highly technical, and there was an audience of collectors and perhaps a new generation of watch collectors who would become patrons and appreciate the nascent company he was building. Richard Mill credits going to car shows and air shows as a child for his love of cars and aviation, and that vision of motorsport would forever influence his life and eventually his watches. It was clear in only a matter of time before he realized that the same thing that Jack Hoyer did, and that was that product placement matters. And what better place to put your products than in one of the most aspirational sports on the planet, Formula One. Let's start with the modern era of Formula One. Richard Mille is the sponsor to the following F1 teams, Scuderia Ferrari, who we'll come back to in a little bit, McLaren Racing, Alfa Romeo Racing, and they were partners with the Haas F1 team from 2016 to 2020. They also sponsor the following drivers and legends of the sport. Charles Leclerc, Fernando Alonso, despite the large Bell and Ross logo on his sleeve, Fernando still wears an RM, Alain Prost, Aurora Strauss, Felipe Massa, Jean Todd, the circuit Paul Ricard, not returning next year to F1, the Richard Mille racing team, Romain Grosjean, Sebastian Ogier, Simon Paginot, and Richard Mille's Young Talent Academy. That's a lot of motorsport personalities. At one point, they also sponsored Kimi Raikkonen because there were multiple large posters of him wearing an RM in the boutique, but that's neither here nor there. Richard Mille was the official partner of Circuit Paul Ricard and the Abu Dhabi Yas Marina Circuit, and they've had partnerships with Formula E with the Nissan Edams team and Venturi Racing. Richard really treats these ambassadors as friends. It's been said that if he gets a good feeling about someone, he's happy to work with them, and there's an extensive list of motorsport personalities in this, and that's no small feat. Mostly that's because he loves racing and he loves motorsport, and that's what's most important to Richard, so he wants to keep these people in his inner circle. Richard remains a genius marketer, and he realized the power and potential of putting the watch on the wrist of a driver in an F1 car. The story of the materials, the ultralight carbon fiber, the super light and dependable titanium, he could use this story to sell watches. And one of those relationships that's incredibly important is that of Scuderia Ferrari. A little history on Ferrari and their partnerships with timekeepers. Aaron Sigmund wrote on Watchinista, quote, Ferrari and Scuderia's Ferrari track record of partnerships with major watch brands is indeed impressive. In the early 1970s, for Scuderia Ferrari Formula One, it paired with Hoyer. Later in the 70s, for the overall Ferrari brand, with Longines. The GoGo 80s ushered in the fourth formula of Ferrari, a joint venture capsule collection of timepieces and accessories from Cartier. The 90s saw a orological upgrade with the Poor Ferrari Chronographs by Gerard Perigo. The aughts brought us an all-Italian collaboration, Ferrari engineered by Officine Panerai. And in 2011 came Hublot, which brings us to today. Yes, it brings us to today, but not exactly. Ferrari and Hublot had a partnership from 2011 to 2020. That ended when Richard Mille took over. The Hublot and Ferrari partnership would not only see the Hublot name on the livery of the Ferrari, 
It would also generate real products to come out of the Hublot factory and huge marketing campaigns celebrating the combination of these two great brands. All in, the partnership would develop some 70 watches, multiple iterations of the Hublot Big Bang, Ferrari, and a watch designed by Ferrari's chief designer, Flavio Manzoni. In this partnership developed some of the most technical watches, including the MP05 LaFerrari manufacturer, a vertical tourbillon with a 50-day power reserve. This partnership was strong, with lots of co-branded product, and even Ferrari F1 drivers taking part in Hublot store openings and Hublot events. But in 2021, a subtle but noticeable change appeared on the Scuderia Ferrari cars. I am not referring to the bright green Mission Winnow stickers on the car. I said subtle. Just below the driver's hands in the cockpit appeared a matte black logo for the watch brand Richard Meal. This shocked me. Ferrari had been in a long-term relationship with Hublot. I wasn't concerned for Hublot. I was simply surprised to see this change in the livery. Jean-Claude Biver, now board member, would go on to say, quote, I don't know what we could have done better. For me, it was certainly one of the best partnerships of my 45-year career. Highlights were everywhere. But what was eventually the greatest highlight was the exceptional relationship I had with Luca di Montemizzolo and Flavio Manzoni, who designed several extremely successful Hublot products. While it seems that LVMH and Hublot are not seeking another partnership like the one they enjoyed with Ferrari, instead, they're focusing on their core brand equity and returning product value to the Hublot name, not a co-branded product. And that makes sense. But what I really didn't expect was what I saw next. Ferrari signed a deal with Richard Mille to be the official timepiece of the team. I was a bit taken aback... Richard Mille already had Charles Leclerc, Ferrari's promising young driver, as a member of the Richard Mille family. Did they really need the whole team? Richard Mille also had a partnership with the McLaren F1 team, and I was surprised to see the sponsorship of a second team. If you visit the Richard Mille homepage, you'll quickly notice that the partnership with Scuderia Ferrari is the biggest headline on the site. It's a big deal for any brand to take the sponsorship and role as Scuderia Ferrari's official timepiece from Hublot. When their partnership was announced, the webpage read, Richard Mille is delighted to announce its new partnership with one of the world's most iconic brands, Ferrari. Founded in 1947 by the legendary Enzo Ferrari, the company has always been ahead of the field, driving towards excellence both on and off track. This meeting of minds is based on shared values. Both brands forge their inspiration in the white heat of technology, combining age-old know-how with cutting-edge state-of-the-art innovation and passion leads to true world-beating excellence in their respective fields. This multi-year partnership extends from the pinnacle of motor racing in Formula One through the WEC endurance programs, Competizione GT, Ferrari Challenge, Ferrari Driver Academy, to the fast-developing esports category. The meeting of the minds does not end there. Richard Mill will also back not only Ferrari's Driver Academy, a breeding ground for up-and-coming talent, but will also be an active supporter of the Ferrari Challenge Series, since 1993, this renowned single-model motorsport championship has brought together thousands of gentlemen drivers competing throughout the globe. Personally, I hope that Richard Mille continues to develop the lightest possible, most accurate watches and deliver them to the wrists of F1 drivers and team members. It's a great testing ground for the type of product that Richard Mille manufactures, and it's the right ground in which to test and prove these watches. 
I really do look forward to more partnerships here. I think that there's a genuine benefit to both brands. Scuderia Ferrari gets an ejection of capital in the form of sponsor dollars, and Richard Mille gets advertising and a method to test new complications, straps, new case materials, and new innovations. I sincerely hope that this partnership will yield something uniquely Ferrari, but not as many collaboration pieces as their partnership with Hublot did. I'd be remiss if, in the light of the Ferrari-Richard Mille partnership, I didn't speak about their driver lineup. And one driver in particular who I've mentioned, Charles Leclerc, has been one of the Richard Mille family for a very long time. He's one of the young talents of Formula One. He really looked like he could have won the world championship this year in 2022 at the beginning of the season. We all found out that wasn't to be. But he's still a challenger, and he's an incredible driver. And I think if the team can really organize the car and get behind him, he is capable of being a world champion. Richard Mille has sponsored Charles since his time in karting. There's a photo of Charles holding up a trophy for the FIA CIK Karting European Championship, and across his chest on his race suit, there is a very large Richard Mille logo. It's clear that the brand has been sponsoring him for a long time, and Richard Mille spotted Charles as a talent at such a young age and wanted to support him on his quest to be a driver in Formula One. And that relationship culminated in... Richard Mille creating a piece unique for Schall in the RM6702 with an elastic strap, which, if I'm not mistaken, was stolen off his wrist this year in 2022. And I, I feel a little bit of a jealous twinge when I see that watch on the wrist of the Monegasque driver. If you wanted to buy Schall's watch, that is unfortunately impossible. It's a one of one, but you can have a similar version for about $121,000. The watch weighs just 32 grams and features the colors of the Monegasque flag. The relationship with Scuderia Ferrari and with Charles not only allows Richard Mille to use Charles as a young F1 star as a model and for advertising, it allows them to test new complications and new ideas on the wrist of Charles Leclerc. Charles gets to have a great partnership, bring a unique sponsorship to whatever team he's driving for, and he gets to enjoy his watches as we know he's an avid watch fan. In 2017, Richard Mille signed a 10-year contract with the McLaren F1 team. I remember when this occurred, as it was covered in the 2018 TV miniseries Grand Prix Driver. The show covered the 2017 season of Formula One, for which McLaren fielded Fernando Alonso and Stoffel Van Dorn. The show features a few shots of Richard Mille wearing the McLaren watch and chatting with the drivers and various people. For me, this segment stood out. Grand Prix Driver was very much the predecessor to Netflix's Drive to Survive, and I was hooked on seeing behind the scenes of an F1 team. The, the watch stood out because, like the car, it's bright orange. And the current McLaren team watch is the Richard Mille RM50-03 Tourbillon Split Seconds Chronograph Ultralight McLaren F1. I think, like many other F1 fans, I had high hopes for McLaren. I genuinely like Zach Brown as a CEO. And McLaren had been making headway back to the top ranks, finishing third in the 2020 Constructors' Championship. I had really high hopes that for 2022, they would feel the better car. Unfortunately, it just wasn't meant to be this year. And uh, the McLaren team has really struggled, especially Daniel Ricciardo, who unfortunately is leaving F1. And I think the partnership of Lando Norris and Daniel Ricciardo 
maybe there's not a lot of love lost between that relationship, but I definitely enjoyed seeing them and seeing the papaya orange McLaren with the reshared meal logo on it. One of the more interesting partnerships in Formula One and on the paddock is with Fernando Alonso, who wears his RM6702 instead of the Bell and Ross uh, that his team is sponsored by because of his long-term partnership with the brand. However, I think it's pretty funny that on his left sleeve is a giant Bell and Ross logo, and on his left wrist is a Richard Meal. Um, you know, you could see this this year at the Secure Grand Prix when you got to see Alonzo wearing his Richard Meal with his team sponsor logo, and just below that, he had his RM strapped to his wrist. But I love that aspect of F1. The sponsorship tells you to do one thing, the wrist tells you another, and I actually agree with this maneuver. Kimi Raikkonen is another driver who was sponsored by Richard Mille. The 41-year-old Finnish driver was one of the oldest drivers on track when he retired last year, and he's continuously been sponsored by Richard Mille. Uh, one of the things I find most interesting is his portrait that hangs with those of other drivers in the Richard Mille boutique. He's wearing the RM50-04 manual winding tourbillon split seconds chronograph Kimi Raikkonen, a limited edition of just 30 pieces. So he's pretty close to the brand. Another driver who is no longer on the F1 grid this year is Romain Grosjean, who had tremendous uh, talent, whose Formula One career ended in 2020. He lost his drive in 2020 after the Haas F1 team announced that they would not renew either Grosjean or his teammate Kevin Magnussen to drive in F1 for the 2021 season. Both drivers were shocked, and in the penultimate race of the season, the Bahrain Grand Prix, Romain Grosjean veered off track and crashed into a fiery explosion. Um, and we'll come back and talk about that in a little bit because there's some interesting facets of that story. Mick Schumacher's rise to F1 in 2021 with the Haas F1 team was big news. It marked the first time uh, Schumacher has been in F1 since his father, Michael Schumacher, retired. And Mick is here to race and win, although Haas doesn't really seem to be able to get him a car that's terribly competitive. Um, and, you know, Mick is another one of those athletes who's been sponsored by Richard Mille since his promotion to Formula Two in 2019. And it's just the fact that the brand is putting its backing behind a young, talented driver. And my suspicion is that this will help to sell watches because of that aspirational feel and that a Schumacher is wearing a Richard Mille on his wrist. While Richard Mille may continue to sponsor many great talents in the future, it's clear that the pool of talent that is part of the Richard Mille family right now is incredible. And I think it's just that. It's getting the wrists on the young drivers who are very talented, who are going to be world champions one day, and giving them an opportunity to prove themselves but also leveraging that aspirational fact of the brand and also Formula One. And quite frankly, I think that's what Richard Mille is going for here, and it's a very smart marketing play. The crashes. There's an unspoken risk that's assumed every time an F1 driver gets into a car. Everyone knows there's a possibility of a crash and a major malfunction or something terrible happening on track, but most people don't acknowledge it. Most people just ignore it as best they can and get on with the job. But it's very clear that the drivers do take their lives into their own hands every time they get into the cockpit of an F1 car. 
Richard Mille was a firm believer in Jules Bianchi. During the Japanese Grand Prix at Suzuka in October of 2014, the circuit conditions were very wet. It was pouring rain, and not unlike the race we just witnessed at Suzuka in 2022, there was sort of a gray mist that hung in the air and made visibility almost impossible. In 2014, the race went ahead as planned, and a lap before Bianchi's crash, Adrian Sutil went off the track and slammed into the barriers in the same spot where Jules Bianchi would go off track. The issue was that there was a piece of heavy equipment moving Sutil's car off the runoff area into safety so no one would crash into it. And unfortunately, that's exactly what happened with Jules Bianchi. He went off track and ran directly into the machine moving Sutil's damaged car. Uh, Jules was unable to be raised on the radio, wasn't responsive to the marshals on track, and he was immediately given medical attention, transported to hospital, and would undergo emergency surgery. Placed into a medically induced coma, Jules would eventually succumb to his injuries on July 17, 2015. Richard Mill said, I had forgotten how dangerous motorsport can be because, like Jules, we are obsessed with performance. And yes, there is an obsessive nature with performance and building fast cars. But I think it's wise for everyone to remember that it's a really dangerous sport. And Jules was Charles Leclerc's godfather and was destined for a seat at Ferrari. So when Charles Leclerc ascended to Ferrari, it really felt like he was following in the footsteps of Jules Bianchi and honoring Jules' wishes. Jules' death was a tragedy and was entirely avoidable. Formula One was reeling from Jules' death as it had from the death of Ayrton Senna almost 20 years earlier. Jules was young, he was 25 years old and full of life with a promising career ahead of him, with potential and rumors abounding about a move to Ferrari. But because of Jules, many racers got their chance, and, and no more so than Charles Leclerc. Rest in peace, Jules. Hopefully the safety improvements that we've made in Formula One in the ensuing years have made it a safer sport. Unfortunately, there was an on-track incident in Suzuka that was eerily reminiscent of the Jules Bianchi incident when Pierre Gasly passed the machinery removing a car from track a few weeks ago. As much as we've made strides to make F1 safer, it still is not a safe sport by any stretch of the imagination. Felipe Massa, the Brazilian driver, was a star on the F1 track. He won 11 races and took pole position 16 times in his career. He started every race, starting in 2004, with a Richard Mille watch on his wrist. At the 2009 Hungarian Grand Prix, while wearing his Richard RM11, Felipe Massa went into a tire barrier during qualifying. The crash was horrifying to watch, and the lack of response on the radio from Massa left everyone holding their breath. As medics arrived on the scene, there were track volunteers holding sheets over the cockpit of his car to prevent the cameras from seeing what was going on. It turns out that a spring from Rubens Barrichello's car had broken off, shot into Massa's helmet above his left eye, which in turn knocked him out and caused the crash. Massa would be taken to the hospital and cared for and would recover. His watch, however, took the impact and kept right on running, just as it previously had. So Richard's performance developments for watchmaking really paid off. In the 2014 Canadian Grand Prix, Felipe Massa collided with Sergio Perez on the final lap of the race. 
He ran straight into the back of the Force India of Perez and broke the front right wheel off the car and continued skidding down the track, colliding with the barriers at a force of 27 G. Massa had crashed earlier in the weekend after losing the car under braking into turn one, where his DRS wing did not close properly. His team was able to get the car rebuilt and get him sent out on track, only to have him crash in a truly spectacular fashion. Again, his watch survived the impact of over 27 Gs and just kept on ticking. November 29th of 2020 is a date that no Formula One fan will soon forget. Under the lights at the Bahrain International Circuit in Secure, 20 cars lined up at the grid and set off racing under the lights. On the first lap, Romain Grosjean went careening across the track into the barrier and his car burst into flames. On the live telecast, you simply saw the car veer off the track, collide with the barriers, and send a giant fireball skyward. It was horrifying. The moments slowly ticked by as the entire motorsport world watched in anguish, willing Grosjean to get out of the car. When he did emerge with the help of Alan Vandermeer and Ian Roberts from the medical car and two very brave track marshals, Grosjean was able to escape the fireball and crash, which was in excess of 67G. His RM, again, would just take the impact and keep on working. It's a morbid topic, but the crashes don't define Richard Meal. And I don't mean to be a downer on what is otherwise a fascinating and fun watch brand. However, it's hard to talk about Richard Meal, his engineering, the racing machine for the wrist, and not discuss these crashes. In the case of both Massa's crashes and Grosjean's fiery crash, amongst other crashes during his career, the watches survived. And that's exactly what Richard Meal wanted. He wanted to put a watch on the wrist of the Formula One drivers, the best drivers out there, and put them in the best cars, pushing incredible G-forces and taking big risks, sometimes resulting in big impacts. And he wanted to show that a mechanical handmade watch could do it. And this testing validated his entire ethos, his entire brand message. And that's why Richard Mille wanted to be an F1. He wanted to use components that no one had before. He wanted to push the envelope and find new ways to test the watch. There's no way any other brand would have put their watch on the wrist of a driver in a Grand Prix and sent them off. Mille wanted to prove beyond a doubt that his watches could withstand the toughest tests on the planet and F1 provided him with that test ground. The end. I love that a modern watch brand has gotten into Formula One based on the interest of the CEO and the wants of the sport to develop new watches. I realize there are sponsor dollars at play and that there's big money being made on these partnerships, but I love it. There's a feel here and something to enjoy about these watches. It's a win for both motorsport and watches. I think there's a lesson here potentially also for luxury brands. It doesn't always have to be about marketing. It can be about a love of the sport or developing a new line of products. It could be about creating something just to create something for the sake of meeting the needs and exceeding the needs of almost any feasible use case by a normal human. These are the partnerships that really matter and deliver. If Tag Heuer and Rolex were the original kings of cool in motorsport, Richard Mille is the new king of cool. He's been successful. It's a watch you know when you see it. 
whether on the wrist of your favorite driver, Rafael Nadal, Bubba Watson, or any other athlete, it's iconic. And in 20 short years, to have created an icon is amazing. Richard Mille created a watch that the watch world didn't know it needed, and by exploiting a connection to motorsport, he has successfully built a brand that has tied itself inextricably to Formula One, speed, and lightness. Because of Richard Mille, we all know luxury can be lightweight. Richard Mille took an entirely different approach to watchmaking from most of his competition. I don't think he was really targeting the established brands in the watch industry like Rolex and Patek Philippe. What Mill wanted to do was something completely different. He wanted to build a brand that hadn't been built before. He wanted to push new materials, and above all, he wanted to prove to the world that there was something new happening in luxury. F1 provided him his testing ground, and I think after 20 years, we've proven beyond a shadow of a doubt, the brand has legs. My name is Todd Searle. This has been Forward Momentum. Thank you for listening. Looking forward to having you back next week to talk about marketing, innovation, and motorsport. Until then, keep moving forward.